Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 1. We've been uh, doing a series on living without, and uh, this uh, final message in this series is living without blessing. Um, I don't want you to do that. I fear sometimes people do. Matter of fact, uh, as I think about Psalm 1, one of the things I do in premarital counseling when I'm meeting with a couple and they say, you know, we want to get married, and um, I say, well, when's your, when's your wedding? And they tell me, and usually it's within 150 days of when they meet with me. And I say, well, whatever the day is, how many days is it to your wedding? And they say, 82. I say, okay, well, let's start with Psalm 82. If it's 150, let's start with Psalm 150. You know, whatever it is, let's till then, let's start with that psalm, and then I want you to read the psalms backwards. So if it's 82 days, tomorrow you read Psalm 81, and the next day you read Psalm 80, you'll always know how many days it is to your wedding, and you'll end up on Psalm 1, and Psalm 1 is about a life of blessing, and I want you to go off as a couple blessed, and you're going to be blessed if you read the scripture together if you gain the blessings from Scripture. So it's just a great passage to start life and do life well. Um, Hear God's Word. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Obviously, When you look at this short psalm, the intent of the psalmist is clear. He wants what I want for you, and that is he wants blessing. I want you to have a blessed life, but you risk not having it if you don't pay attention to the message here. He wants you to be blessed, and the blessing that's described here is more than general blessing. You know, we all get certain blessings. Um, the general blessings of God are like the rain and the sunshine. It falls on the just and the unjust. General blessings. Uh, we get all sorts of other blessings. Uh, I got a $50 tax return yesterday. Did y'all, some of y'all get that from South Carolina? General blessing. Doesn't matter whether you're righteous or unrighteous. You know, it's just, oh, I didn't see that coming. Where did that come from? You know, it's a blessing to, uh, to get an extra $50. General blessings of God. That's not what he's talking about. How blessed is the person? We all get these general blessings. He's taking it to another level. He's taking it to a level of uh, special blessing. He's not talking about winning the lottery. Anybody can do that. You know, it's... Christian or non-Christian, if it happens, it happens. It's a great blessing, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a reward that's much greater. It's a special blessing from God. He mentions two groups of people pretty clear. Um, How blessed is the man, verse 1, 
who's listening to God's word. So that's like the Christian group. And then the second group, verse 4, the wicked are not so. So he's, there's the righteous and there's the wicked, or the Christian and the non-Christian. There are two groups of people in society. And the blessing he wants us to have is a blessing that's focused on the Christian group. He wants us to have blessings. And we obviously need to be told this because sometimes we get off course. We get off the path. He wants to make sure we stay on it. Verse 1, it's broken up kind of three levels. Don't step, don't stand, don't sit. Um, doesn't want us to step in a sinner's counsel. What does that mean? It's not just non-Christian word, words. A sinner or a non-Christian uh, speaks. He's not just saying you, you can't listen to non-Christians. No, no, no. He's talking about counsel that the non-Christian would give that's going to be contrary to what God would give. Don't step into the counsel, the, the advice that the non-Christian is going to give you any advice that's contrary to the Word of God. Uh, put it to you this way. Do you ever do anything without consulting God? Do you ever do anything without consulting the Word of God? That's the essence of it, it here. Um, just start creating a practice to yourself. Does God want me to do that? Whenever you think, uh, you know, this is what I want to do, well, does God want me to do that? Is it God's counsel or is it man's counsel? Is it the sinner's counsel or is it righteous counsel? Um, and pick anything. Uh, how about, uh, you know, David, your car is looking kind of ragged. I think you need to buy a new car. Okay, that's, that's counsel. That's advice. Go get a new car. I haven't had a new car since 1986. And when I had the new car in 1986, it was because I took bad counsel. And I turned it back in after six months because I couldn't afford it. It wasn't in my budget. And I began to think about godly counsel. There's nothing wrong with a new car, but it wouldn't fit my budget. So I began to ask God, do you want me to have this car? It was one of those nice Chevy Blazers. Man, it was sporty. I was cool when I drove that. I was only cool six months in my life. That was it right there. Uh, but as I asked God, God, do you want me to have this blazer? And the answer kept coming back. You can't afford that blazer. I said, oh, so you don't want me to have this blazer. Because it's not good stewardship. I, I, I should have asked that question first before I got it. Then I wouldn't have lost the money of buying it and reselling it back. Um, do you ask that? Even somebody says, hey, let's go to Starbucks for a latte. Do you ever stop to say, well, that sounds fun. Does God want me to go to Starbucks for a latte? See, it can be $5, it can be $5,000, it doesn't matter. What does God want for you? What does God want for me? Is it godly counsel or is it the non-Christian counsel? Counsel that, the non-Christian counsel is counsel really that doesn't take into consideration God's word. Doesn't take into consideration God's plan. Doesn't take into consideration God's uh, will and desire. Have you ever had the counsel to say, Hey, you can drive a little faster. The police don't patrol these roads. Oh, uh, oh, okay. Is that godly counsel? Or is that just somebody else? You know, what does God want you to do when you're driving? 
What does God want you to do when you're eating? What does God want you to do when you turn on the video game? Hey, I, I think I'm going to go watch a video, do a video game. Okay. Well, does God want you to do that? We need to start asking ourselves these questions. Um, how about when the, the children say, hey, I want to go to this church. Does God want you to go to that church? Do we even have a way to evaluate churches, what church we should go to? Should we follow the advice of our children, or should we follow the advice of God's Word that teaches children to honor parents, not the other way around when it comes to education and training? Sometimes we don't really think all of that through. Or how about the times when you have that little voice in your head that says, why don't you just relax for a couple hours and watch pornography? Is that what God wants you to do? You know, you've got to start evaluating. Don't step into the counsel of the ungodly. There's counsel we are getting all day long from our own heads, from people, from the media screen. And God says, I want you to have a blessed life. And that blessed life is going to start by you listening to good advice, getting good advice. And the way to get good advice is to stop hearing the bad advice. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Love this passage. Great passage. Let's read it again. Let me read it to you. Um, it's just great to stop and think about the wisdom here, the counsel that's being given. It's just so plain direction. Um, I'm, I'm going I'm to read more of it than just verses 5 and 6. 5 and 6 is what people memorize. Let me start with verse 1. Um, Proverbs 3, my son, do not forget my teaching. So you've been given good counsel. Listen to it. Pay attention. It's, it's still in your head, still in your heart. Don't forget it. Let your heart keep my commandments. That's a, that's a, that's a great value. You should know the commands, keep the commands. Um, over chapter 4, verse 4, I'll just skip. I'm coming right back. Keep my commandments and live. I love that. You want to live? You want to really live? You want a blessed life? Learn to keep my commandments. Verse 2, Proverbs 3. The length of, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Oh, what a blessing. Length of days, years of life and peace. Verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. See, that's the ungodly counsel of thinking about doing something without consulting God. I'm, this is the way I think it ought to be done. Well, did you ask God? This is what I think I should do. Well, do you, so don't, don't, don't just depend on you. Don't lean on your understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge Him. That's everything. Stop and ask, you know, is this something God wants me to do? Acknowledge God's in the picture. We just sang about love being under the sovereignty of God. So live like it. Ask the sovereign God his plans. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body, refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth. From the, first, from, the, from the first of all your produce, that's the tithe. That's giving back God his portion. And this is where we get that the tithe should be the first thing we give. God blesses us. Let's bless him right back. 
thanking him first. You see, that's, that's not ungodly counsel. The non-Christian doesn't ever counsel this way. This is Christian counsel. Verse 10, the blessed life. Your barns you say, well, I've just given 10% away. I'm going to be, have less. No. The blessed life starts when you do it right. Verse 10, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Just a great passage that you can memorize on how the blessed life is lived. It's not stepping into the counsel of the wicked. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I, my parents had to teach me not to step into chewing gum. Not to step on dog, dog poop and cow poop and horse poop. Did you have to learn that? Because if you step in gum and poop, it's, it's not a blessed life, I just say. It, it just doesn't go well. And, and, and God is trying to say, say the same thing. Don't step into the counsel of the ungodly. Don't do that. It doesn't work out well. It doesn't end pleasant. It's just something we have to learn and develop. Second thing he says, not only don't step in the counsel of the wicked, but don't stand in the path of sinners. So you've got three different levels. Stepping into just seems occasional, temporary, maybe not as consequential. uh, Standing in the path of sinners. Now you're, you're going further in to something sinners do by habit. It's not just counsel they flippantly throw out. But this is a habit. It's a lifestyle that's different from the Christian lifestyle. Don't stand there. It's a path. Uh, you know, a path is different from an occasional trail. Uh, in deer hunting, whenever I go to a, a, a place to hunt that I, I'm not familiar with, I look for paths. I don't look for a, 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 a hoof print. Uh, because the print, you can find those anywhere. But if you find a path, that's well-traveled. That's where I need to set up. Because this is where the deer is frequently coming and going. Christians and non-Christians have paths like that. We have places, things we do on habit. And he's saying we need to stay away from the sinner's habit. So I started thinking through the scripture. What What are some habits that he's talking about here? Habits of sinners. You all remember Hebrews 10, 25. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves as is the habit of some. There are habits. Some people have the habit of saying, I don't need church. I don't need to assemble with the saints. I'm a Christian. I could just do, do it the way I want. Really? We well, see, that's the habit of the ungodly. And the scripture says that's not the blessed life. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. It's the habit of some, yes. And if you use peer pressure to determine what you're going to do, you might not do it. But it's not righteous. It's not what God wants. Ask again, what does God want us to do? God wants us to assemble, to get together habitually. It's the con, con, um, contrary action to the sinner. Get on the path of the righteous. Um, Malachi chapter 3, uh, God talks about the habit of giving. In Malachi chapter 3, he says, Habitually you have been robbing me. You've been stealing from me. Really? How, 
how does one rob from God? How does one steal from God? God, you, you own it all. He says, yeah, and I've given you all that you have, but I've asked you in the giving to give me a return. Give me 10%. And he says, you've been habitually ignoring that, like it doesn't matter. Again, see, it's, it's a habit, and God says, don't stand in the path. Don't stand in the habit of some, in the habit of sinners. Those are habits. Um, I think about chapter 5 and chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians, and it, it's dealing with the responsibilities of husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church, and wives to be submissive to their husbands like the church is to Christ, and children to honor their parents, and parents to train up their children in the way they should go. There's a strong uh, section there in Ephesians 5 and 6 on just family management. The habit of the sinner, the non-Christian, is to neglect his wife except when he wants something. Or to neglect her husband except when she wants something. To neglect the kids, to uh, let the kids be raised by the latest game on iPad. Or to neglect parents and just go to your room. Uh, we see habits about family all around us. Do we get back to the scripture and say, God, what do you want me to do? What should be my habit towards my wife and my husband and my kids? Or James 1.26, one that really bothers me in our culture, says the person who can't bridle his own tongue, his religion is worthless. Now, even putting a bridle in becomes a habit. Do you habitually speak a certain way? You know plenty of people who habitually speak a ungodly way, a crass way, a disrespectful way, a way that defies heaven and all that God stands for. God says that's worthless. Don't speak that way. Words matter to God. Obviously, Christ says, I am the word. The word became flesh. Words matter greatly to God. He says, think about your words. Don't speak in the same way that a non-Christian would speak. Because if you do, your religion is worthless. James 1.26. Um, or, or take the last commandment. The 10th commandment, Exodus 20, verse 17. says, do not covet. Great command to know. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. His livelihood. His job. His pastures. His ox. His transportation. His wife. His servants. It just goes on and on and on. Sometimes that's our habit. We just keep thinking. Lord, I want, I want, I want. And the scripture says, don't get into that habit of looking at other people and wanting what other people have. Because God made you different. You're unique. You have your unique calling. Your unique gifts. They're not the same as someone else. God wants us to use what he's created us to have and use and not someone else. So don't step in the council of sinners. Don't stand in the sinner's course. Number three in verse one, don't sit in the seat of the scoffer. Now you see how it's, it's bumped up one more level. To just step is one thing. Okay, I don't have to keep going that direction. You can step out of it. To stand, to get in and stand and Start developing a habit. That's a little bit further. Then once you get in that habit, he says, don't sit down there for God's sake. I mean, 
Don't go that far. So here we are. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. How easy it is to progress that far. And that will not lead to a blessed life. Think about chairs you sit in. Where are you sitting? Are you sitting in a chair where before you somehow is a scoffer? A scoffer is someone who is against God. It's against God's ways, against God's law, doesn't do it God's way. That's a scoffer. Do you ever sit in a scoffer's, or in a chair in front of a scoffer's? Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. You can think of all sorts of chairs, can't you? There's obviously the old, old theater chair where you sit in the theater. What, what do you choose to watch? Are you enjoying watching people scoff at God and His ways? Or now there's the computer chair. You're sitting in front of a computer screen. You can choose to watch anything you want. But as you watch it, you will notice at times people scoffing at Christ and God. Do you continue sitting in that chair when, when that takes place? Uh, God's ways. Um, the schoolroom chair is a big chair. You've got teachers teaching you a lot of hours every week. Do they scoff at Christ? Now, I'm not saying you can't go to a public school. Obviously, you can. We have a lot of good Christian teachers in public schools. And so you can, you can be before one of those. But if you're before a teacher that's constantly railing against Christ, oh, that's Christian stuff. I hate Christian stuff. And I hate thinking about submitting to God. And I hate thinking about the Christian way of life. I think you should just live together. You shouldn't be having to submit to your husband or love your wife like Christ loved. If, if you're before that kind of teaching, you might consider changing your chair. That's grounds for another classroom. Because you're sitting in the seat of a scoffer. And thankfully, God's given us lots of freedoms and lots of options. You can move in public school and you can move to many other places. But think, think through the chairs we sit in. Um, there's lots of people scoffing marriage Christ's way. There's lots of people scoffing at God's creation of life and claiming abortion is just fine. There's lots of people scoffing at biblical morality. They're scoffing at Christ being deity and our submitting to Him. They're scoffing at salvation alone by Christ through faith alone. Um, they're scoffing at so many things. Now, we usually say, mm, yeah, I get it. They're scoffing. But where I go, it's, it's, it's really not that bad. It's just now and then. It's just a little bit. Okay, that, that may be fine. I just want us to evaluate. Do we ever want to play with sin? And say, well, it, it's just a little sin and it's not too much. And we think about, well, yeah, I guess I am kind of playing with it. I'm toying with it. And that's, the, I think, the whole reason for the progression. No, 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 don't step into it. Don't stand there and don't sit there. And so whatever level it is, you have to decide, am I kind of playing with it by just stepping there a little bit? Because it's saying, yeah, the, the habitual place, that would be rough. But you could back it up the other way. Don't even step there occasionally. Don't play with sin. Don't toy 
with sin. That's not the path of blessing. Enjoy the chairs you sit in. Let's sit, not before scoffers, but before those who honor God. Well, the path of special blessing goes on. Verse 2. But his delight. So the blessed man, he notices where not to step, stand, or sit. But then he makes his delight in the law of God, law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The emphasis here is obviously on what we do with God's law. And I think God's law is perhaps bigger in this context than just the Ten Commandments. That it, it can encompass all of God's word. But certainly we can start with the Ten Commandments and we should know the Ten Commandments. And we don't get unhitched from the Ten Commandments. The law of God is a tool for blessing. It's not something that we do because we earn salvation. But it, there are great benefits from keeping God's word. And it's a blessed life. Um, don't miss the word delight. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. The emphasis seems to be on what do you love? Do you love stepping, standing, sitting in this non-Christian world? Or do you love the Word of God? Do you love hearing God speak? Do you love hearing God counsel you? Do you love God's direction? You know, I tend to think about what I love, don't you? See, the meditation day and night is not as hard if I get the love part. I love my wife, so I think about her every day and night. She loves me. She thinks about me. We think about each other because of love. And he's using the same. So I, I need you to learn to love God's law, God's word. Because if you love it, delight in it, it becomes a treasure to you. You, you think about it. The word meditate means to think in view of doing. So you, you love it and you think about how can I do it? How can I perform it? How can I apply it in my life? That keeps me off that sinner's course is really devouring Scripture and getting into it. Um, there was a, I guess it was a nursery rhyme I grew up with. I don't hear anybody singing anymore. I thought about it as I was going through this. You know, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Some of you say, yeah, I remember that. I don't hear anybody say it anymore, but it's, it's kind of cool. It's easy. It was probably written about the same time as that Oscar Mayer song, right? You know, it just, just sounds like it. Um, the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible, that's the book. I've read a lot of books, but that's the book I keep coming back to. That's the book I love. When people ask me, hey, what's, what's the book you've read most recently? Bible. What's the book you love the most? Bible. Ah, oh, come on. Give me something else. I do read something else. But I don't put down this to read something else. This is the one I love. You know, I've read hundreds, thousands, I guess, of books. But this is the one I come back to. This is the one I read on a daily, regular, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Delight in it. It needs to be our delight. Love, uh, let me read Psalm 19. Just jump over a few. Psalm 19, verses, description of God's law, verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord, sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, they're right, 
rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Just meditate on that a little bit. Why would I get into the Word of God? Because it's perfect. It's restoring. It's simple. It's sure. It's right. It causes me to rejoice. It's pure. It's enlightening. It's clean. It's enduring. Its judgments are righteous and true. It's more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. Wow. What have you read like that? Nothing. Nothing blesses like that. Obviously, Satan's temptation is to keep us away. But that's the blessed life, devouring Scripture, saturating your conscience with Scripture, loving Scripture. And then he goes on in verse 3 of Psalm 1. Special grace from God. We will be firmly planted like a tree that is by the streams of water. Uh, In the news this morning, I don't know if y'all saw it, uh, where... uh, George Washington lived, uh, a white oak, 230 years old, just fell over. But I thought, that, that tree was planted well. It's been sitting there, so they, they talked, talked, said, you know, it's just, it was just, it's time to go, the tree. But it's been there for 230 years. Wow, that's pretty significant life. We've already read in Scripture how, in Proverbs 3, how long life comes from those who, who are saturated in the Word of God. And God uses the tree as an illustration, a tree that's firmly planted, planted where it's going to be always watered. And you're going to be like that kind of tree, that kind of prosperity um, that yields fruit. You're going to be fruitful. We have seasons where we're more fruitful than others, but we will be fruitful in our season. The leaf doesn't wither. Whatever we do prospers. Now, some people take this way too far. He didn't say um, if you get into the Word of God and you study the Word of God on a daily basis, you can go buy your new car. I'm going to give you that kind of prosperity. He didn't say he's going to prosper your bank account. He didn't say he was going to prosper your health. He just said you would prosper. Again, God prospers us different ways. Um, depending on our gifts and depending on our calling, His plan for our lives. But we will prosper in our area, our sphere of ministry, in our giftedness, in our calling, in our purpose. God will produce prosperity. Sometimes we just get focused on our health and our wealth, and we think that's the only way of prosperity. I remember a lady whose uh, son died, tragic accident, um, car accident. He was 30 years old. And uh, she decorated his room and uh, would just go into mourning for months before his birthday and after his birthday every year. She remembered her son's birthday. And, and I would see her at church, and I knew her. I said, what's going on? Well, this, you know, this was the month my son died, and just would go on and on and on. And as I explored that life, just to see that she just had no sense of prosperity. Uh, she took an extra job, worked to, to provide things. She had the house. She had the car. Everything's paid off. She provided for her son everything money could buy. 
But he died without Christ. He died without love. He died without grounding in spiritual things. He died without an assembly of saints around him. He died without using spiritual gifts. He died without receiving heavenly rewards. What kind of prosperity do you want? I understood why she mourned. Because she had spent her life living for the wrong things. She had been stepping, standing, and sitting in the counsel of the ungodly. And it led to great mourning and distress. But those who are in the word of God are planted like a tree that's fruitful. Fruitful as God would define fruit. Prosperous as God would define fruit. Laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. Having a very significant life on earth. That's the kind of life we want. And God promises that by us getting off the ungodly counsel and getting back into God's counsel, the scripture. Um, if you want fruitful prosperity, that's what we want. Don't step. I mean, don't consider sin. Don't stand. Don't be playing with sin. Don't sit. Don't be enjoying sin. Delight in God's law. Then verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 1. I call these verses the so what verses. It's like we always want to know. Because if it were me, I would have left verses 4 through 6 off. It's like, you've said what you needed to say. And God says, yeah, but everybody's going to ask, so what? So what if I don't do it? So what if I don't follow? And so he throws verses 4 through 6 in to make it extremely clear. There's a prosperous life and there's not. So verses 4 through 6 is the so what. The wicked, verse 4, contrasted with the righteous, they don't live the same kind of life. They're like chaff which the wind drives away. Um, chaff is, is the disregarded portion of the grain. You know, it can be dust, it can be dirt, it can be the shell. It's, it's the part that's it's just disregarded. And we want the fruit. Well, God is saying the wicked at death are disregarded. They're not the ones that go to heaven. They're not the ones I take care of. They're not the ones who sit at my table. They are cast away. That's God's description. They're the ones not cared for by God. Also in verse 4, they're driven by the wind. Um, what a wonderful description uh, significant description of the non-Christian life driven by the wind old song in the 60's even uh, popularized this the answer my friend is blowing in the wind you may have heard it that concept that where do we find answers well it's, just, it's out there somewhere it's just blowing in the wind the scripture says that's the way the non-Christian talks but that's not what I want for you I want for you a much better life. Um, I love this description of us in Ephesians 4. Let me jump to it real quick. Uh, I think it's verse 14. And it, God says, don't, don't follow that lifestyle of being driven by the wind. Ephesians 4, 14 says, um, as a result, we are no longer to be. So having been saved by Christ, having been under preaching and teaching and equipped, verse 14, he says, as a result of that, we should no longer be children tossed 
here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. The wicked are people who are carried away by the wind. They toss and turn. They're looking for the next fruitful thing. I, I sometimes challenge people who, who come to me and say, well, this is what I think you should do. I said, oh, okay, let me hear. And they say it. I said, have you read that somewhere recently? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they described the book. And I said, you know, it's interesting because a few years ago you were saying something else was the right solution. And now you're over here. It seems to me you're the product of the last book you read. You're tossed from book to book to book, from opinion to opinion to opinion. This book is 100% absolutely true, inerrant, infallible. I don't have to, to go there. I don't have to be driven to something else. I'm directed by God's Word on a daily basis, and it's always a sure course and a sure path. So describing the wicked, they're just tossed. They're like chaff. They're disregarded. And what they do hold on doesn't stick because it's not grounded in inerrant, infallible, absolute truth. Well, the results, verse 5 and 6. Therefore, as a result of that kind of lifestyle, the wicked won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You get the implication here that um, judgment's going to be based on the Word of God. Since they are not living their life by the Word of God, they're not going to stand. Their opinions won't hold up in heaven. Verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the righteous way, God's Word, but the way of the wicked will perish. Um, Christ came to produce that. Sometimes we forget that aspect of Christ. Look over at Luke chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17, describing Christ. Luke 3, verse 16, John answered and he said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming, of course he's speaking of Christ, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn uh, the chaff with unquenchable fire. It says when Christ is coming, he's coming to take the, the fork, hit the grain, throw it in the air, and the chaff gets blown away. It gets disregarded. He says, takes it a step further. Not only does it get blown somewhere, he says, Christ is coming to do two things. He's either going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, so you're going to be united to Him through His Spirit, or He's going to burn with unquenchable fire. You're going to be united to Him in judgment fire. So there's two groups. There's those who are united to Christ by His Spirit, the Christian group, and those who have disregarded Christ and are united to Christ as judge, who judges them and burns them up with unquenchable fire. And that's what Psalm 1 has been describing. 
the blessed life and the life that's in total disregard to Christ and His Word. We want, obviously, the blessed life. I want to be baptized by Christ. I want to be united to Him through His Spirit. Are you baptized in Christ? Are you united to Him? If you're united to Him, you love Him, you love hearing Him speak, you want to get into His Word. If you're not united to Christ by His Spirit, if you're not in His Word, let's fix that. Let's trust Christ. Let's trust Christ. Yield to Him. Open His Word. Obviously, Psalm 1, I thought about that a lot of times I'll begin the, 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 the first of the year with a message on your need to read your Bibles and stay in the Bible all year long. I said, let's just do it this, this time of year. That's going to give you five weeks to think about it, okay? But obviously you need a life of getting into the Bible if you're not doing so. And it's so easy to do it now because you can pick a plan that's really suitable to you. Just search, use any search en- engine and just... Type in Bible reading plan. You can use the YouVersion app that we put our worship service on every week. Um, and they've got 10, 15 plans there of ways to read through the Bible in one year, in three years, in nine months, in three months, in five years. Pick one that works for you. But remember the goal. The goal is not just Bible reading, accomplishing certain amount. The, the goal is delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Often my thought is, God, I'm opening the word now and I'm going to read. And I tell God this in my prayer. I say, God, I'm going to read till I'm happy. I'm going to read till I'm happy with you. I'm going to read till you direct me. That's the goal. It's to see Jesus. It's to meet God in his word. And have him be your counselor. Have him direct you through the passages you're reading. And I encourage you to do that day after day after day, week after week, month after month, for the rest of your life. Because that is the life of blessing. And we know far too many people who are not living a blessed life. And here is God's plan to get on track and to live a blessed life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It hits us. It changes us. It directs us. It convicts us. But it also empowers us, emboldens us. It counsels us. It directs us. It transforms us into the image of God. Father, we're far too quick to pick up our laptop, our iPad, our phones, and read and read and read. Have mercy. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we've neglected your word. We know you didn't put it here for us to get legalistic about it. You didn't require a certain number of words read every day. But you promised us food. You promised us life. You promised that if we would read, we would live. 
and we would live with great reward. Father, we ask that you would bring us back to you being our first priority, your word being our first thoughts, becoming our delights. Forgive us of our sins. Draw us into a blessed life, for we want that life for your glory and for your honor to be seen through us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.